Yeah, so I'm the middle school uh, youth director, and middle school is a very funny time. A lot of crucial things happen in middle school, because middle school is the time where, I guess you want to be an adult, but you want to be a kid at the same time. It's very confusing. How many of you guys were in middle school? <laughs> oh, cool. Wow, that went better than yesterday. Everybody's like, is he serious? Um, yeah, so all of us have been in middle school, and the thing about middle school is it's like the very first time that you see that guy or that girl, and you go, oh, man, they're cute, and it's weird, and it's awkward, and you don't know what to do, and if anybody has been there like I have, there was one pivotal moment of a relationship experience which involved a small piece of paper. Some of you are laughing because you already know what I'm talking about. Some of you are laughing because you did it, and it failed. <laughs> But there are two words written on that piece of paper besides a sentence. Can anybody tell me the two words? Yes or no? I love this. Okay. And the sentence at the top is what? Do you like me? Oh, I get so awkward thinking about it. It's so cringy to think about. But yeah, we, we spent the time to write out a note to profess our love to a guy or a girl in middle school, which always goes well. And at the bottom of the page, it says yes or no. I think we have a picture of it. Yeah, it's very similar to that, except they got it wrong with the boxes, because what do you do? You circle it. Correct. Thank you. Wow, you guys are getting a lot of brownie points. You're supposed to circle Yes, that's what everybody wants, but sometimes it becomes no. And the thing is, is that it's devastating for a middle school kid to hear that because they are professing their love. And what we're talking about today is loving in a like world. That's the title of today's message, loving in a like world. See, the thing is, is that the two words have become synonymous with each other. They have the same amount of letters but carry two different weights. And the thing is, is that like and love have become the same thing since we were young. Because one requires commitment. Because you can like something. Maybe if you were in middle school, you liked, liked that person, right? But the thing is, is that love and like have become a very similar word in our, in our culture, in our context that we live in. And here's how I'll prove it, okay? How many of you guys have social media? Should be most of you, right? If you have a Twitter, a Facebook, or an Instagram, check this out. On Instagram, when you like something, what pops up in the center of the picture? A heart. Love. When you're on Twitter and you like something that you can't retweet, it's a heart. And now Facebook has added this, this part where you can show more emotions and add emojis when you like something. And when you like like something, you love it and a heart pops up. Here's where I'll prove it even further. How many of you guys love the New England Patriots? Okay. Wow, it's a lot better than yesterday. It was like, yes, how dare you, right? How many of you guys like the Patriots? Here's, here's what I'll say. How many of you guys, if the Patriots, and you have Patriot fans in your house, are playing another team, you will root for the other team just to make them upset? That's how you know if you like the Patriots, okay? <laughs> See, I like the Patriots. I grew up as a Boston fan of everything, hockey, basketball, football, baseball, all of it. But the thing is, after a while, I started to see how much people truly love these sports teams where they have, and some of you might have tattoos on them, you worship Tom Brady at your shrine every morning. He just had his birthday, so that must have been exciting. <laughs> but there's a love there, right? You might like something and you might love something, and it's kind of interesting to see that in some cases the two words are the same, and in other cases they're not. And what I wanna define for us today is truly what love looks like, and loving in a like world, in a like generation. And the thing about love is, is that love requires you to do something extra. 
Love requires you to go the extra mile to do something more. When you love something, you go crazy, right? And the thing is, is that love is very easily shown with people in your life. Now, has anybody in the room ever been so sick that they couldn't take care of themselves? And somebody close to them, whether a parent, an aunt, an uncle, grandparent, guardian, whoever, had to take care of you, usually when you're a kid. Has anybody been so sick before? See, I ask a lot of questions because middle schoolers like questions because they get to talk for a minute. <laughs> no offense, middle schoolers, I love you. But the point is, is that somebody who you love, and in my case, when I was seven or eight years old, I don't remember, my parents will tell me later, but I had pneumonia really bad. And pneumonia is very, very serious for both children and adults, and so I needed someone to help me, let alone I couldn't help myself because I was seven or eight years old in another context. But the thing is, is that when I was that age, I couldn't, I didn't know what to do. I went to the hospital. I was being checked for fluids. I was having my parents drive me to and from the hospital, making sure I was okay, administering all this medicine, making sure that they cleaned up my vomit and all this grossness and showered me and make sure that I was okay. And love requires that. Love is an action that goes further. Love requires action. And here's the thing is that imagine if my parents only liked me. I'd be dead. <laughs> I wouldn't be here. They would have tossed me a cough drop and 10 bucks and said, head over to CVS and grab some cough medicine, which we all know doesn't cure pneumonia. The thing is, is that you can easily tell in certain contexts and then in others, you can't because love and like have become synonymous with each other. You guys still with me? You guys hanging in there? So I want to head off into a chapter of the Bible that we all know. All of us know. If you've never heard the story, you know of the person in it. You've heard this name before. It's not Jesus, but we are going to talk about Jesus. I know we're in church, but that's too obvious, right? The thing is, we're going to talk about the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan. Some of you are rolling your eyes because you've heard it every day in Sunday school for your first 10 or 15 years of your life. But this story has so much more meaning to it than just a good guy doing something nice for someone else. And usually when we read the Bible, that's the first thing that we get is this like, first layer of what God is trying to say. But the cool thing about God's word is that it never returns void. But you have to get deeper into it. And what I want to do today is break down truly what Jesus is talking about in this context of the Good Samaritan. Now, the Good Samaritan, I want you guys to remember that word before Samaritan, okay? What word is that? Good. Well, Good. We're good. But we're going to talk about it right now. So let's check this out. It's Luke 10, 25 through 37. If you guys got your Bibles or your smartphones, whip those out. We're in 2018. We can have smartphones. Would you guys stand with me as we read God's word? The parable of the Good Samaritan. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? He answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Imagine if the story stopped there. But it doesn't. But he wanted to justify himself like every person does. And who is my neighbor, he asks. And Jesus' reply is, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. 
So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, what kind of Samaritan? A good Samaritan. As he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins, your Bible might say denarii, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you have. With which of these three do you think the was the neighbor of the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law re replied, the one who had mercy on him, Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it is more than just words, that it's more than just a story, but you're trying to show and teach us something. So today, Lord, we pray that you show us your love, your true love, the love that you had for us when you came down to die for us. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. amen. You can have a seat. Like I said, we're talking about Jesus today, and Jesus is much more than just a guy telling a story. He is the Savior of the world. He is the Son of God come down from heaven to die for us on that cross, which we were deserving of. And what I love about that same Jesus, God's Son, the one and only, is that he had enough time to talk to people. That's what I love about Jesus, is that Jesus was never too much or too great or too cool to talk to somebody. And that speaks volumes about who we are supposed to be as Christians. The fact is that Jesus was a down-to-earth guy. He loved to hear what people had to say. He loved to understand them. He loved to know what their story is. And so Jesus is taking time in his day to talk to people. And he's talking about eternal life and what that means. And then suddenly a lawyer shows up. Now we all know lawyers, right? No, I'm just joking. That Sounds really bad. If anybody's a lawyer and I need legal trouble, or have, I don't need legal trouble. Don't get, don't get me wrong. If I have it, I will call you. Um, it's just you can't, you can't win at that point. Um, so this is a story about an unexpected love from an unlikely candidate. This is something where Jesus gets into a story or gets into a conversation with a lawyer who actually tries to get Jesus in a pickle. See, let's, let's throw some, some backstory to this. Now, the law, okay, is not obeying a traffic sign in the old world. The law is the first five books of our Bible or the Old Testament, which is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. These books are called the Torah. This is the law of Moses and the prophets. And now this law was everything that a Jewish man and woman lived by in that time. They did not go past it. They did not refute it. Some of you, this is watching the Patriots every Sunday. You get there. There is nobody else sitting in my chair. It is law in this house. And what the thing is, is that with this law, they abided by it to the nine. Nothing could tear them away from this because this was their connection to God. God gave Moses this law and said, this is what you do so people can recognize you as my people, so that you can inherit eternal life, so that you can become my people in a land that I have destined for you. And so what happens is, is that this law is so ingrained in people's lives that this guy who spent his entire life on this law approaches Jesus, tries to get him a pickle, and says, hey, how do I get eternal life? More context. Jesus is not just a bearded guy with a sash and he floats around saying, I love you, right? Jesus, at this point in time, to the Romans, is a cult leader. 
because he was drinking the blood. People were drinking the blood in the body of Christ, which just sounds weird to Roman people who don't understand. So he was a cult leader. At the same time, he was a blasphemer, designated by the Sanhedrin as a blasphemer because he was saying that he was the son of God, that he was the part of the Trinity, that he came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the same law they're also on is that this Jesus was claiming to be everything that they had been following for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years since Moses walked the earth. And at the same time, Jesus was a nobody. Jesus was born to a small, run-down town in Bethlehem to no-name parents, and he was pretty much half-Jewish because Joseph wasn't the father. Jesus was in a very interesting position at this point in time. People saw him as one thing or the other, and they were flocking to him to truly find out what's going on. And that's what happens with us. You guys ever been on a highway and see an accident and everybody slows down? We have a term for that. It's called bottlenecking. And they were bottlenecking Jesus at every point in turn. They were showing up and saying, what's happening? Who is this guy? What happened? What's this accident that's going on? What is he talking about? And so Jesus is at this moment having conversation with people. The lawyer approaches him, and he says, how do I get eternal life? And Jesus says, what does the law say? I love that. Because this guy wanted Jesus to say, well, I am the law. And then go off about how he's the way and all this stuff. And that's what he wanted to hear. He wanted to hear Jesus blaspheme for himself. But the thing is, he got a very different answer. And Jesus throws it right back at him, Socratic method style, question back at him, what does the law say? And he goes, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, gold star, you did it. <laughs> Do it, and you get eternal life. But of course, as people, we like to justify ourselves. He's like, that's not a good enough answer then. Well, then who's my neighbor? I get all that stuff. I grew up on that stuff. That's what I know. That's what I study. Who's my neighbor then? Jesus could have just said, hey, it's John next door. Bring him a loaf of bread every once in a while. But he didn't. He brought up a story about a Jewish man. How do we know he's Jewish? Because he was coming from Jerusalem to Jericho. And I love that Jesus puts it right where they understand it. He says, a man was coming down from Jerusalem. All the people in the room were Jewish men and women. Comes down from Jericho, gets beaten up, gets robbed, gets left for dead on the side of the road, naked and alone. And Jesus brings up two people, two very important people in this story that a lot of people look over as just, oh, they were really rude, and they shouldn't do that. Let's put it in perspective a little, is that a priest walks by. A priest upholds the law. A priest lives by the law. He, through the law, is able to enter into God's presence in the tabernacle. This is a guy who should know what he's talking about. And what does he do? He walks right over <laughs> the dying man. Because the law says that if a priest is to touch a dead body, he becomes unfit to enter God's presence and must clean himself. He is unpure or is impure because of that. But what Jesus is trying to point out is, is that you care more about the law than you do about my people. See, the law was to protect the people of Israel, and this man sent to uphold the law is walking right over him. See, he didn't love God's law. He, like, liked it. And here's the thing is that a Levite or his lackey comes right up behind him, a.k.a. the worship leader, shows up behind him. He's like, ooh, I ain't doing that either. I saw him do that. The thing is that these guys were meant to fulfill this law. That's what they were there for. That's why they lived it. They were in God's presence day in and day out. And what Jesus is painting the picture is that it's not about the law. It's about, it's about my people that I'm talking to. He's like, you only like, like my people. You don't love my people. And that was their problem, is that they were too concerned about the law. They were too concerned about the look. They were too concerned about themselves. 
to care about God's people. And maybe you're in this room and this is a word for you because it's been a word for me. Maybe you're all about the look. I'm guilty of it too. Where you can be about this whole thing, you can be about the church, but we can't even go out and talk to somebody in the lobby. Find out how their day is going. Happens to me. Happens to all of us because we get too caught up in the like instead of the love. You guys still with me? So let's keep going here. Is that after he points that out, he points out a Samaritan. What kind of Samaritan? A good Samaritan, right? This good Samaritan. That, uh, they shouldn't even be next to each other in the eyes of a Jewish man and woman. They had laws against Samaritans. They said if a Samaritan is walking this way, you can walk across the street and walk on the other side. And we treat racism like it's a new thing. This is their own people. And they choose to do it because they are not like them. And here's the thing is that this is the definition of a Samaritan, is that it's the name given to a new and mixed inhabitant whom Esherodon, the king of Assyria, brought from Babylon and other places and settled in the cities of Samaria instead of the original inhabitants whom Sargon had removed into captivity. These strangers amalgamated or combined in all different ways with the Jews still remaining in the land and gradually abandoned their old idolatry and adopted partly the Jewish religion. They considered them half-breed Jews. They considered them scum of the earth. They couldn't follow God's law. They didn't like them. They didn't love them. They didn't want anything to do with them. Now, these people didn't know any better. They grew up in this context. They grew up not knowing what is the truth because they have half of their life is given to false idols and other gods from other lands and their culture. And then on the other half of it, they're getting the Jewish law. So they grew up knowing these things. It's not their fault. It's the same thing as Christians today, as who we are. Sometimes look at other people that are in context or in their lives and they don't know any better and we look down on them as if we weren't in the same position before Jesus got a hold of us. See, the thing is, is that these Samaritans couldn't help themselves. This is who they were. And I love that Jesus makes the hero of the story the good Samaritan, the one that they absolutely hate. And not only that, this Samaritan helps out one of them. This is so powerful. And the good Samaritan not only just, you know, helps him out a little bit or gets him back up on his feet, this man is close to dead. So he cleans up his wounds, puts oil and wine on, washes them, purifies his wounds, makes him clean and pure again. And then what he does is he puts him on the back of his donkey, which back in the day was a serious sign of wealth. Not many people had livestock. So you want to put in today's terms, he put him on the back of his Maserati, and then they drove to the nearest inn. Give or take. Never mind, I was going to make a joke. <laughs> um, the point is, is that he puts him on the back of this donkey, he brings him to the inn, and not only does he just say, here, he's your problem, he stays with him. He makes him whole again. He heals him. He lets him rest for the first time in a long time. Guys, this guy made it, was making a journey and was stopped dead in his tracks and beaten and robbed. And I want to say, you might be in this position today. You might be on this journey of your life, and at some point something beat you up and left you for dead. And the people that are supposed to help you, the people who have been around you your whole life, left you there because they were too busy about looks, too busy to help you, too busy to take the time out of their day. Maybe you have been to a church and they treated you that way. We're getting real this morning. Maybe you've been in a position where people who are supposed to follow Jesus and his example left you there. Well, I want to tell you there's hope. We're going to keep talking about it. So this guy not only stays with him the entire night, 
makes sure he's okay, saves his life. He pays full price for it. He goes, hey, whatever this guy needs, I'm paying for it. And he stays with them the whole night, gives him the amount of money that they need, and he says, listen, I'll be back. And whatever thing he needs, whatever expenses are left, I will pay for them. That's so cool. Is that not only is Jesus talking about a Samaritan, a half-breed Jew, someone who doesn't belong in this area, he goes out on a limb to help this man to go further, go the extra mile for another person, saves him and says, I'll be back to finish the job, whatever he needs. See, guys, a lawyer likes a father loves. A lawyer likes a father loves. The expert in the law and today's standards, or a lawyer or somebody who knows the law and its ins and outs, will take a case, will fight for or defend their person until the trial is over, and then that's it. You can't do anything else. They're convicted. They go home, they have a nice sandwich, maybe some soup if they're feeling it, and they enjoy the rest of their day. It only matters for that certain amount of time. And what I'm trying to paint a picture is not against lawyers. We love them. If you do it, do it for the glory of God. But the point is that this man was too busy caring about his law to care about people, to care about the people that Jesus had set up in this law for them. And here's the thing is that this person is exhausted over the fact that once their job is done, it's done. And maybe you're in this room as a believer and you feel like once you leave this place or once you've done your, your little thing or once you've donated your 50 cents, that point is when you stop and go home and become someone else. See, the thing is, you might like something. You might like, like, like something. You might like helping people out. You might, you might like Jesus. You might like following him, but you don't love him. Because love requires more. And you want to know what a perfect example of love is? A father that came down from his heavenly place to where we were beaten and broken on the side of the road when everybody left us. We couldn't help ourselves. We were close to dying. He came and saved us that didn't deserve it. See, Jesus didn't die because he likes you. He died because he loved you. And that's so important. Imagine if Jesus only liked you. What would we be doing here? It wouldn't matter. It wouldn't matter about loving your neighbor as yourself, doing unto others what you would have them do to you, going the extra mile, saving someone's life, make sure that they are okay. This is the kind of love that we should have. And the only place you can get it from is Jesus because he is the source of this love. He's the only one who risked it all to save you and me because he only loved us. Only love. Man, it's a powerful thing when you can get a hold of it. You can look at anybody in any situation and say, no matter what you're going through, I'm there for you because I love you. It doesn't matter what your background is. doesn't matter what nationality you are. It doesn't matter what your life used to look like. doesn't matter what gender you are. It doesn't matter what background you have. The point is that Jesus loves you, so I'm going to love you. One of the most powerful things that we can get a hold of as a church and as a people of God is to love the sinner, hate the sin. Because Jesus did. Man, that love is powerful. Jesus even says no greater thing than this than a man who lays down his life for another. Just like our father did. And I want to talk to two different people in this room. I know I've been harping on the believer because this is close to my heart because we cannot let this go. We cannot let people walk in and out of this building, in and out of our lives, and, and just expect God to handle the rest. We are his hands and feet. We are called for a higher purpose. We are called to help change people's lives. Listen, guys, it's a tough road. It's difficult. The journey from Jericho to Jerusalem was far. 
Our journey is far. People's journeys are hard. It's brutal. Sin gets a hold of us wherever it may be, and it destroys us. And we cannot sit idly by and say, hey, you're struggling with something. Hey, you're dealing with sin. You're in this situation. I'm just going to let it be because it's not my business. If you're about Jesus, people are your business. If you're about Jesus, helping those people are your business. Because at one point in time, believer, you were right there on the side of the road too. And somebody else did it for you. So to the believer in the room, go the extra mile. There was a law set up because Rome was in charge of Israel at the time. They were a dictatorship over it. That if a Roman citizen was to go up to your door and ask you to carry their pack, to carry their armor, to carry whatever they were carrying, you would have to, be go- have to go with them for a mile. That was the law. You were forced to go that far. And I love what Jesus says in Matthew 5.41. Is that he says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, Go with them too. What happens when you're walking and talking with somebody, whether in a, in a physical sense or in a spiritual sense, is that you get to know them. You get to understand their life. You get to see where they're at. And one mile only gets you so far. From sitting in your seat to the front door, that only gets you so far. Somebody could be hurting and they need someone to help carry their burden. And you might feel like it's forced on you, but Jesus says, wait a second, don't just go one mile, go two. Because when you go a little extra and you go a little further, you get to understand what they're going through. And they need somebody to carry that pack with them. And sometimes two miles becomes three, becomes four, becomes five, becomes six. And before you know it, you know this person so well and you're ready to show them the love of Jesus Christ. Because you've been with them from step one to step a thousand. It might take a thousand miles, but the point is Jesus says go the extra because my love is what needs to be shown through my people. Carry someone's burden with them. God forbid it changes their lives because they're looking for that. People are looking for someone to carry their burden with them because a man 2,000 years ago came from heaven with crown of thorns on his head, a gashed back, carried your burden to the cross, went the extra mile for you and me and everyone else in this world. And God forbid we go an extra mile for someone else. Believers, are you hearing me in this room? Go the extra mile. Talk to that person that's on your heart. Call them back. Make sure they're doing okay. Because that's what love looks like. Don't just like people. Love people like Jesus did. Now, lastly, I want to talk to the seeker in the room. The person who is looking for love. The person who has gone to every single other thing. I don't know your life. I don't know what you've been through. But I know that it's long. I know it's hard. I know it's a journey that we all sadly have to take because sin is a part of our lives. It's a part of my life. It's a part of the equation that we wish we didn't have, but we have it. And the thing is, is that when you go and you're giving out love to people and you're working hard to love your family and to love your kids, to love those around you, it runs dry really quickly. Your patience wears thin. You become exhausted. And you know what? The same comes from other people too. When you're struggling with with something and they don't have enough love to give, Maybe you're sitting in your seat, you just said, I don't have enough love to give. Or maybe you're saying, nobody's giving me enough love, I'm not being paid attention to. To the seeker in the room, connect to a source. What source am I talking about? Jesus. Because when other people stop loving you, when other people make mistakes, when you make mistakes and you can't love that person that's hard to love in your life, he gives it to you. 
Deuteronomy 7, 9. Love this verse because this is in the law that we're talking about. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps the covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. This is so cool. To a thousand generations. Not only does Jesus love you and supply you with love, but it's for thousands of generations. Jesus supplies you with so much love that you can't help but pour it out to people. You can't help but feel it and understand it and know it. And when the tough times come, when you're beaten and robbed, there is the good Samaritan there to pick you up. Because you know who Jesus is? He's the good and better Samaritan. He's the true Samaritan. He was half God, half man, all father, all human at the same time. He was rejected by his own people, it says in the book of John, just like the Samaritan was. Did not belong in this land, but came and went out of his way to show love to people who were broken. And not only that, he, he doesn't just save them and then say, see you later. He walks with them. He talks with them. He heals them. Carries the burden on his own back. Brings them to a place of safety and security and says, you know what? Whatever expense needs to be paid, I'll pay for it, and I'll come back. That's what we believe is that the love of Jesus Christ, it's coming back. It's not just now. Jesus is coming back. He's not one and done like everybody else. That's a promise that we can stand by a thousand generations to come. The love of Jesus Christ will stand against racism, against hatred, against all these things that are standing up against the church and the body of Christ, the one who is sent to die for you and me because of our heart condition, which is sin. Now, believer, go the extra mile because he did it for you. And seeker, give it up. <laughs> give up your life. It's the best thing you can do. In this world, it's easier. <laughs> it's usually easier to say, I did it myself. But as a believer, we are so confident and happy to say we couldn't do it by ourselves. Because when you do it by yourself, you're alone. People will walk right over you and not pay attention to you. But a father loves a lawyer likes. There are a lot of lawyers and experts in the law who get connected to somebody who loves.